I'm very important and I require cushion quilted, coconut scented, three ply soft toilet tissue and I want it now. Hello and welcome to Sharp, the podcast where we help you get a little better at the stuff you have to do so you can spend more time doing the stuff you want to do. So now, on with the episode. get a bit louder so yeah what i was saying was that's the sound of quiet not silence but quiet apart from a few birds and i'll have to ask my friend susie from the casual birder podcast to tell me which ones apart from that it's almost silence now this was recorded in our garden um i can't go and do my outdoor intro at the moment Well, I suppose I could, but I shouldn't, because we're trying to comply with the whole social distancing thing. So what I've done is I've recorded the sound of the garden, and I'm going to play that in the background while I record this intro, just to try and make it feel a bit like we're outside. So I've mentioned before that this podcast is what we call Evergreen. Now, you probably know what Evergreen means, but for those people that don't, It means that the content that we cover isn't based on events that are happening at a particular time. The idea is that it's meant for people to listen to whenever they like, years in the future if you want, and it still be useful. But it feels like we can't not address what's going on at the moment. You might remember if you listened, I mentioned in the last episode that I was in the woods doing social distancing. And at that point, it was a new idea. But now things have got even more weird. We're in lockdown and it's a weird, challenging time for everyone. So how can we add value to you? It feels like in the world of self-development, the floodgates have opened and there's a risk that we could get overwhelmed. You know, there's too much stuff to be focusing on all at the same time. I am now going to learn the guitar and also develop my PowerPoint skills and write that novel. So I reckon a good approach to hang on to is the one of baby steps. When we're thinking about what we might do differently, just not trying to eat the whole menu, but picking one or two things that might be helpful, trying them, and if they work, happy days. If they don't work, then have a look at other stuff. So there's three chunks to this episode. We're going to have a section on change and dealing with change because that feels like a pretty relevant subject at the moment. We're going to have a section on what resource is out there if you've got a bit of time and you want to think about how you can use it to get better at something. But first, you know, we've got amazing people at the moment doing remarkable jobs. I'd argue they always were remarkable. They just perhaps didn't get the credit that they deserved. Whether you're a cashier working in a supermarket, which is already a very challenging job dealing with the public, now it has added potential health risks. Or if you work in the NHS or a carer, it's being really truly recognised. I'd argue that people that work in care or in the NHS on the front line have always been heroes. And then there are other people 
And you may be one of them, still able to work, but maybe at the moment it's very different because you might be working from home now. And then, of course, there are people whose income has been reduced to zero. Like creative people. Um, my brother, Andrew, the comedian. He has no work. There's nothing coming in. Uh, people that work in the gig economy, you know, suddenly this work has gone away. Some of us are not working full-time, but still being paid something, maybe on a furlough scheme or on reduced duties. And as well as the health challenges and the income challenges and this general anxiety about the future, many people have got the challenge now of filling time with something different. And it felt like a good place to have that conversation was at the kitchen table. So we're here at the kitchen table. It's been a long time since we've sat at the kitchen table and recorded something. How long has it been? Uh, months and months. I vaguely remember us having a conversation the last time we sat at the kitchen table about how long it had been since we sat at the kitchen table. Well, we're like ships that pass in the night. We're like what? Ships. Okay, ships. Well, until recently. Not now. So, yeah, now. Now is a weird time, isn't it? So now. I think we're permanently in each other's company now. <laughs> yes. Yes, I love it. I think it's fantastic and I want more of it. <laughs> How do you feel about the current situation? <laughs> it's odd, isn't it? Because, um, so I think in this episode, I will have said in the introduction so far about how the fact that I don't normally talk talk about sort of current things in the podcast because I want it to be evergreen and I, and I think I would have explained what that means in the introduction for those people that don't know. Um, you, particular listener, may already know what that means, but it's the others that we have to do this for. So, but we thought we'd just have a chat at the kitchen table for one bit of this. A is just an excuse to talk at the kitchen table because it, it's the only time when we laugh. You're allowed to laugh now. Oh, sorry, I will when you say something funny. Oh, look at your smiley face. Um, so this coronavirus thing is happening. It's, it's Easter Sunday today, which is... Um, we've got, normally, on an Easter Sunday, we'd be doing anything other than sitting at a table recording the podcast. But there is nothing we can do. We cannot leave the house. We've got food cooking. We've done all the jobs. So uh, I thought we'd do this. What are we talking about? Hello? Are you asking me? Yes. So um, we're going to be talking about what's going on in our world a little bit because of the coronavirus. Yeah. And I guess some of the things that we're doing that we could share with your listeners that might be of interest. Yeah. I. And it's weird because I genuinely don't feel like I'm in any position of authority to give people advice. Because this is just unprecedented. Nothing like this has ever happened before. I don't know whether what I'm doing, we're doing, is the best thing or not. Yeah, but none of this stuff is ever about us being experts. just about sharing what works for us. Yeah, true. And it's no different now, <laughs> is it? <laughs> no. I mean, doing, like, the going out for the daily walk has been quite important, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, actually. And that's... I've really like growing to love it yeah which I never thought I'd get to that stage but. no but it's 
it's it's nice to get out. It's good to get that exercise, to get that fresh air. Certainly for my mental health, that's vital. Um, I really would go stir crazy, just literally stuck in the house all the time. And what else are we doing that we're finding helpful? So I'm still working. So the routine of, and I guess so I would normally be working three or four days a week at home. Hmm. And I suppose since about February, I've been working at home more or less full time, haven't I? So that routine is already there. Yeah. And we're kind of sticking to that working routine really quite strictly. So, you know, the time we would normally get up, we get up. The time we would normally be at our desks, we're at our desks. And we kind of, during the day, keep our worlds quite separate, don't we? Because you're in your upstairs office, I'm in the downstairs office. And we might meet in the staff room for a cup of tea. (laughs) We've got a staff room now. (laughs) Used to be called the kitchen. (laughs) Yeah, but I, I agree, that idea of having, if you're working from home, having um, a structure, which is the same, that there's a start of the day, there's an end yeah. of the day. One chap I heard recently, I forget who said it, he says that he, when he works from home, he walks to work. And what he means by that is he goes out the front door, he walks around the block and comes in and then starts his I working really day. I really like that idea. <laughs> and I think what I found really interesting is, so although I work in an industry where everyone in my office can work remotely... Yeah. Actually, it's only me and two other people that do work remotely. So what I'm finding really interesting is the people that normally work in the office or wouldn't normally be at home with their children are really struggling with creating that routine piece. And, you know, we many years ago worked at home when our children were much, much younger and we were really quite rigid, weren't we, that... Mm -hmm. You can't just come and interrupt, you mm. you know, and we set up signals or made them aware that they couldn't just come into the room yeah. or what have you at certain times. And I think, you know, of course, it's unprecedented times at the moment and everything's different and people are more understanding of us all having our kids about and stuff. But I think if you unpick those layers and just get to this kind of routine piece mm. and structure... Mm. It's really easy for those edges to be blurred yeah. and for your working day to actually become a 12-hour day because you're not sticking to that structure. Yeah. And I think for me, that's the most important thing that I do to create that sense of normality on a day-by-day basis. So what that we've, was boring? Was no, it wasn't boring. It was good. What we've said there is that we've said have a start-of-day routine. Have a structure to your day, so do things at certain times. Have a lunch break, have a break. Yeah. If there are other people in the house, set boundaries. Yeah. Um, so when I'm working, these are the arrangements. If you need me, you know, it needs to be for a certain reason. There's yeah. a limitation to how often, particularly with young kids, that can be tricky. So getting them to understand when this door's shut, when this sign is up, when yeah, I've got these clothes got on. Yeah, because we've got signs on our doors, haven't yeah, we, that yeah, we for use conference for calls conference calls and stuff. Calls yeah. And, yeah. Um, having an end-of-day routine, and I think that's probably one of the most important so say deciding that there is going to be an end to my day Mm. and if you're lucky enough to be able to have a space where you can go and you work in that space and that's a different space to where you live the rest of your life now that might just be the a corner of the table or it might be something you set up for your day and then at the end of the day you dismantle it so that's your end of day routine and my work day is now over and and deciding in advance what that time is going to be rather than just Okay, it just feels like the day is ending now. Is it going to be five, six, seven, whatever time that you finish? But or three could... o'clock and then have a glass of wine. 
But that could just be as simple as closing your laptop, shouldn't it? I think we yeah. all get a bit het up. I mean, we're very lucky to have, excuse me, home offices. But a lot of people don't have that luxury. No. And, you know, we had a home that didn't have an office and you had to work at the end of the dining room table and what have you. Mm. And it is just creating a work, a proper work environment yeah. in whatever space yeah. you've got available. It doesn't yeah. have to be an office. The other thing I've realised I'm doing now, and I hadn't really given this much thought, but you just said it there, is when the, at the end of the day, when you finish working, turn your laptop off, yeah. shut it down. Yeah. Because that shutdown is quite significant. If you just If you just physically close it... That means you can at any time easily yeah. open it again. And that's what I was doing. So like where I've got certain communication things on my phones, yeah. I'd see a message come through and I'd, because my laptop wasn't switched off, I'd think, oh, I'll just quickly just deal with that now yeah, or yeah, go and look yeah, at it. Yeah. And it means that your working day sometimes is extended yeah. quite significantly and it's just not good, is no. it, not to switch off? No. So that's some tips for people working from home. I think if you're... Um, if you're at home and you're not working, that means, and I think again I've covered this in, in the introduction in terms of how difficult that can be, certainly people whose income is in, impacted, um, you know, what happens when you're either earning, we've got no money coming in or less money coming in, but you still find yourself in a position that whilst that's the case, you have time on your hands which you didn't have before and what do I do with that time, what do I fill that time with? And I've certainly found that having a structure and having a plan to what I'm going to do each day, rather than just get up when I feel like it and veg and watch Netflix, actually being clear in my mind about what it is I'm going to do and when I'm going to do it and why I'm doing it, and having a, a, a purpose, a reason for doing things. They may not be the things that you had a reason for doing them before. You know, you may not be doing your work and the reason is income. You may not be working on a project for work and the reason is promotion, but actually, at the moment, a good reason is just to have good mental health. A good reason is just to feel comfortable enough with the situation as it is now. And I've found, certainly, that one way I find feeling comfortable with the situation is having a structure and having certain things I'm going to do. And the way I do it is in my calendar, I... Obviously, you can see me doing this with my hands now. Uh, the listeners would have to imagine me doing this with my hands, or the listener, if they haven't all left so far. Um so there's certain things I, I'm not going to tell you. That sounded really dodgy. Well, it did, and that's why it's I was cutting it out. my shoulder blade. I was going to cut it out, and now you've referred to it again, so now I'm going to cut this bit out. <laughs> um, for me, it's about energy levels. So there are certain times of the day when I can really focus, and I find it easier to focus. So that's, you know, two or three hours of writing time or self-development time. There's loads of self-development stuff that you can do, and I'm going to refer to that later on in the episode where you can get that information from. Um... But there are certain times of the day when that's that's more effective, that's easier to do. Then there are other times of the day when it's the more mundane, routine stuff, clearing emails or scrolling social media. And if you like scrolling social media, if you like watching YouTube, don't try and deprive yourself and pretend you're never going to do it, but actually just block off time. Say, okay, I'm going to spend 20 minutes mucking about here. I'm going to spend 20 minutes resting. I even had an afternoon nap the other day. It was fantastic. Um, I'm going to spend half an hour doing my daily exercise. We're going to go out and walk for the day. But plan those things in. Plan the downtime in as well. Plan the rest time in. And I think really importantly, plan in the family time, the relationship time. And if that's going to be Zoom meetings with family members, uh, WhatsApp video, the different ways we're communicating with family members now, 
planning that in and making sure you do it is really, really important at the moment, isn't it? When people aren't in the same house or, you know, things aren't normal. What else? Anything else? Any other top tips that you think might be useful to people? Teaching your parents how to reconnect their virgin cable via WhatsApp video. That was not something I would like to do again soon. Or how to set them up with Zoom. Just listening to you trying to explain it was... Um, I felt very proud. Okay, thank you. Of your patience. Okay. <laughs> Just recovering from the bit that we've cut out. Hopefully we can meet again. See what I did there? Not over the kitchen table. <laughs> no. Hopefully we'll meet again at the kitchen table. I don't know when, but I know that we will meet again at the kitchen table. Someone said that recently. I can't remember who. Right. See you later. Bye. Next, we're going to look at how to deal with change. Now, change can be challenging at the best of times. But if you're listening to this podcast in the spring of 2020, well, you seem to have started on a world of change and who knows where it's going. If you're struggling with change right now, or you know someone who is, or if you just want to prepare yourself to be able to deal with change in the future, then this section will definitely offer some help. There are lots of models out there that can help you. There's the ADCAR model, there's John Cotter's eight-step process. The one we're going to look at is the change curve that was first devised by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the late 60s. So what is the change curve, and why are we talking about it? Well, originally in her book On Death and Dying, Kubler-Ross identified five stages of grief. Now, originally, the concept was designed to help dying patients come to terms with their situation. It was quickly adapted to help people who are dealing with others who are near death, and then the five stages went on to be considered as giving insight for a wider range of situations, including trauma, change and the emotional challenges that change brings. The five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression and acceptance. Before we look at the stages in detail, why are they helpful? Now it's important to say something first here. I'm describing to you the stages of change from the research that I've done and I'm passing on to you what I've learned. I'm not a physician, I'm not a psychiatrist, and I'm certainly not qualified to give medical advice. So this might seem obvious, but I need to say it. If you or someone that you live with is experiencing traumatic change, then please take your own steps to get advice that's relevant to your specific situation. This section is designed to provoke some interest, and it's aimed at helping people through change with non-life-threatening or non-clinical situations. Okay, disclaimer over. So when we experience change, there's actually two things happening at the same time. There's the thing that's changing. Uh, We've got a new job, or we've lost a job. We've got a new partner, or we've lost a partner. Then there's how we feel about it, the emotion that goes with the change. The challenge is that the emotion that we think we're going to feel about something changing is sometimes different to what actually happens when we're in the situation. And it's understanding what you're likely to feel that can either prepare you to get through it 
or to help you help others. Think for a minute about winning the lottery. Overnight, you're a multi-millionaire. What emotion do you think you'd experience if that happened to you? Would you be happy? Well, it sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, many people would say, yes, I'd quite like that, please, Steve. I'd like no more money worries. I'd like the idea of not needing to work and to be able to help my family out. Obviously, there's lots of positives and winning the lottery is a change. It's a huge change. And many people might say it's a positive change. But it's not all upside. Suddenly, you're financially secure for the moment, but there are actually lots of downsides. Once you've bought that new house and that new stuff, other people might want what you've got. So you need to think about security. Then there's friends. You might find that you've got lots of new friends or your older friends have become more friendly. And then you start asking yourself the question, are these people really friends or do they just want what I've got and so on. In fact, numerous studies show that lottery winners aren't necessarily any happier after they win than they were before they won. Life is just different. Now that sounds weird, doesn't it? I mean, a lot of us would say, well, we'd like to have those problems. Thank you very much. And the reason for this is our framing of what we think we're going to feel before an event can turn out to be very different after the event. And this idea that the emotion that we think we're going to feel before an event, often turning out to be different when the thing actually happens, understanding that can help you when you're dealing with change. Let's go to the opposite end of the scale of winning the lottery. Kate Braystrup is a chaplain for the Maine Warden Service. And as part of her duties, she trains state wardens in death notification. This is letting families know that someone has lost their life. And that's the worst news, isn't it? That is the worst news to have to give someone. Kate says in all of these home visits, where the worst news has to be given, they often follow a similar pattern. Here's a snip of Kate talking about it in a TEDx talk from 2015. You don't have to convince her. This is not a conversation. If you say anything, variations on the theme of I'm really sorry, I'm sorry, are plenty. Because all you're doing is letting her know with the sound of your voice, she's not alone. This phase, which I call the impact phase, seldom lasts longer than 20 minutes. I don't know why. It will feel longer, so remember to keep breathing. You'll know when it's over when Cola lifts her head in what I think of as the first of a number of small resurrections. She will lift her head, she will make eye contact with you, and she will ask a sensible, rational, practical question with a sensible, rational, practical answer. And the question is almost always, where is he? Where is Pepsi's body? And because you have that piece of information, you will tell her. 
Now, of course, I'll put the link to the full talk in the show notes. But what I learned when watching that is there is a similarity there between her description of what happens in these situations and what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross talks about in the change curve, that there is this series of emotions that take place and they tend to be consistent. And when you know what they are, it can be easier to help yourself or help others get through the hardest parts of a change and move toward better outcomes. Let's have a look at the stages in more detail. The stages are, number one, denial, often accompanied by shock. Number two, anger. Number three, bargaining. Number four, depression. And number five, acceptance. If it's you experiencing the change, then understanding that it's okay to feel like you do can often help move towards the acceptance stage more easily sometimes. And I say sometimes because it's it's important to bear in mind, this isn't a silver bullet or a quick fix. But having an awareness can help move us on. If you're helping someone through change, then knowing what to do at each stage is useful. So let's have a look at them in more detail. Stage one, denial and shock. Now clearly when you first get the news of a change, the impact can be instant and depending on the extent of the change, the shock and the denial can be overwhelming and it can last a long time or it might be short and it might pass quickly. After the initial shock, which can be powerful, denial is self-explanatory. People will just sometimes point blank just deny that this change is happening. Now, if you're experiencing this, the key is to accept that it's okay. It's natural. It's not nice. But many people will feel the same. You're not alone. And the shock, the denial, and sometimes the anxiety that comes with it will pass. If you're helping someone else, then bags of support at this stage is key. Helping them to recognise that it's okay to feel like this. Stage two, anger. Now, often... The denial and shock can quickly lead to anger. We can be angry at ourselves, angry at other people, angry at the situation, even angry at the person giving us the news. Again, a perfectly natural way to feel and knowing that it will happen is important. But also knowing that it is a stage and it will pass can also be helpful. If you're supporting someone else at this stage, it's useful to try to refrain from judgment. Their anger is likely to not be logical. So allowing the anger to come out and accepting it can be helpful. Again, obviously not fun, but at least if you know that anger is likely to arise, it might help you not to take it personally. Stage three, bargaining. Now this is where different versions of the change curve vary. And certainly for people preparing themselves for the worst news, Can I bargain? Can I trade something for an alternative? Is something that can happen. Some people in a difficult situation offer a bargain to um, a god or the universe or fate. They make a promise that I'll do so-and-so, hoping it will make the change go away. This is different to denial because at the denial stage, we are point-blank refusing to accept the change and we're not considering an alternative. 
when bargaining, our brain's offering uh, a variation. It's trying to come up with a plausible explanation of how could there be an alternative to this change. And again, bags of support is key if you're working with someone else. Stage four, depression. Now this is often described as emotionally the lowest stage. It really is a kind of rock bottom. In the earlier stages, shock, anger, denial, even bargaining, the energy levels are actually quite high because the person going through the change is actively working towards an alternative. With depression, well, that comes with the realization that there isn't an alternative. But actually, this change, this situation is really happening. People can experience true depression in the clinical sense. And again, if you or someone that you are with is experiencing that, please seek qualified support, counseling, or medical help. But if you or the person is experiencing something less traumatic, then this stage can feel like a shruggy shoulder stage. You know, you sit humped in a chair, feel low, down in the dumps, feel sorry for yourself. It's a rubbish feeling, but there is some good news. Because once you're at this stage and it passes, and again, it will pass, we can reassure ourselves or the other person that we will eventually move towards stage five, the acceptance stage. Stage five, the acceptance stage, sometimes described as acceptance and integration. Now again, depending on the scenario, there may never be a positive outcome to the particular change that you're experiencing. But the difference between depression and acceptance can feel like a huge weight being lifted. And certainly in a less traumatic situation, acceptance can move to integration, and relative to the earlier stages, this can be positive. The person works out for themselves, how can I move forward on this? What should I look forward to? Or what can I learn from this scenario? Maybe there is good news. Maybe it helps them be stronger, that there's hope for the outcome, or that the future isn't as bleak as it seemed at first. So in the spirit of moving away from the heavy going and towards the lighter, here is a really trivial story that illustrates how the change curve can apply to all sorts of things. Now at the moment in the spring of 2020, we're experiencing all sorts of unusual shortages. Some of the shelves in the supermarkets are empty. And this is a change that we're not used to. Normally, when I go to the toiletry section, I know exactly what toilet roll I want, and it definitely has to be the right brand, triple sheet and luxury soft, because my family, they must have the best. Yes, when it comes to toilet roll, I will not compromise. So. You go to the supermarket, you go to get your loo roll, you go to the shelf where you usually go, and it's empty. Nothing. Not just your usual brand missing, but all toilet roll is missing. Everything. There's nothing there. Hey, eh? Why are these shelves empty? This isn't right. What's going on? Bing bong. This is a customer announcement. Remember what we said at the start. There's two things happening here. There's the actual change. He wants to buy some toilet roll and he can't. 
And then there's the emotion. Stage one. What's going on? This is a new experience. No toilet roll. It does not compute. Also, there is a spillage in aisle four. Right, what's, what's happening here? Why can't I see the toilet roll? It must be here somewhere. Let me have a look. Bing bong. This is a customer announcement. I'm sorry, sir, but no matter how much you walk up and down, it's not there. You are currently experiencing stage one, denial. But don't worry, it'll soon go away. Also, can we have a manager to customer service, please? Right, there's an assistant. <coughs> Excuse me, there's no toilet roll here. Yeah, that's right, it's all gone. OK, um, I can see that. Can you go out the back and get me some more, please? No, sir, sorry, I, I can't go and get you some because there isn't any. What do you mean there isn't any? That's not true. Just go and get me some. Sorry, sir, but despite your denial, there is still no toilet roll. Bing bong. Customer announcement. Stage two, anger, to the toilet roll section, please. Don't you dare tell me what I'm feeling. Your job is to simply go and get me what I want. I'm getting really annoyed. I'm in a rush. I'm very important. And I require cushion-quilted, coconut-scented, three-ply, soft toilet tissue. And I want it now. I'm oh, sorry, sir. I can't get you that. I can see you're angry. Don't you dare. I'm not angry. You're angry. I'm perfectly calm. But I will get angry if I don't get what I want. I know what's happened here. Those bloody idiots hoarding their trolleys full. I've seen it on the news. Greedy so-and-sos. Ah, why are people so stupid? I'm afraid, sir, that you are definitely experiencing anger. And shortly, you're likely to want to bargain with me. Bing bong. Stage three, bargaining to the toilet roll section. Thank you. Look, I'm not angry, OK? How about if I slip you a fiver? You go and get me some of that secret stock that I know you've got, you know, on the high shelf. Here you go. I'm afraid, sir, that your fiver won't help. There is no high shelf. There's no secret stock. <sighs> but I need it. We're down to our last five packets at home and we have to keep our backup stock supplied. Sorry, sir. What were you saying about idiots hoarding it? Nothing, nothing. Um, are you sure you haven't got any? Yes, sir. I am as sure about that as I am sure that you are about to move to the depression stage. Bing bong, customer announcement, depression. Oh, this is terrible. What am I going to say to Lisa? How am I going to explain it? This is so bad. This is literally the worst thing in the world. Sir, I'm a bit worried you're overdoing it now. Um, can we please move on to acceptance? Bing bong, acceptance and integration. OK, fine. Right. Well, um, I'll just have to tell the boys to go easy and maybe we need to stop doing the dressing up as toilet roll mummy thing that we do every night, like we do. Because there's nothing else to do, you know? OK, never mind. Thank you, sir. I am pleased to see that you have moved to acceptance and integration. And things seem to be a bit calmer. Now, is there anything else I can help you with? Yes. Can you tell me where the pasta is? So now we know why change can be difficult and what it is that we're likely to feel. But how can we help ourselves when it happens? I mean, knowing how we're going to feel is useful. But really, we want to get the other side of those negative feelings, don't we? We want to get into acceptance and integration. Now, sometimes the change will take us straight on a shortcut to acceptance. 
Our example of the lottery there, many people will go straight to acceptance and integration if that change came into their life. Some people are naturally comfortable with change and they don't go through the challenges and they go straight into acceptance no matter what the change is. Other people might find under certain circumstances they jump a stage or move backwards. The reality is that change is inevitable and preparing for it, maybe particularly at the moment, can be helpful. If you find yourself stuck in the curve or resisting a change, here are some practical steps that you can take to help you head towards acceptance. So the first one is identify the positives. Now, this can be hard, especially when you're in the middle of the change, but it's worth doing because once you're clear on the positives, then that can become the goal. The positives might just be that as a result of this change, you're a stronger person, that the change makes you develop your resilience or your skill. Redundancy is a good example. Now, you know, redundancy clearly is challenging, but it also can genuinely present new and better opportunities. And I know because I've been there. Or something as small as a new mobile phone. For some people, that might be a difficult change because they've got to relearn how to use it. But if you've got elders or parents who you've been able to Zoom or WhatsApp video in the lockdown period, then that's a benefit that they won't have had if they were still using their old Nokia 5110, despite how reliable it was. So make a list of the positives, whatever they are in this particular change, and remind yourself what they are if you get stuck. The second practical step is to think about a past change and how you got the other side of it. So we've all gone to a new school, most of us have moved house or learned to drive, and those things will have seemed daunting and even scary at the time. But we did make it, even if we did prang the wing of our dad's Rover 2000 on the way. So reminding ourselves of specific changes that we've come through can be really helpful. The next step is talk to people. Now there are mixed views on whether you should talk about your feelings, your anxieties or your fears, but certainly don't keep things bottled up. Talking to someone about what problem a change is causing you can really help, and getting that out might even get you a different perspective that you wouldn't have had if you didn't talk to somebody. Here's one from the Stoics. What is the absolute worst that can happen? Fear of change is often actually fear of the unknown. So if you take some time to think about what is the absolute worst thing that could happen and really make that image clear in your mind, usually it's not as bad as you think. And even if it is, the element of it being something that's unknown goes away. Now it is something practical. It's something tangible. It's something real. And maybe we can do something about it. And that brings us on to our next point. What can I control? So focus on the practical things that are in your gift. You know, we can't control whether there's going to be a job there for us in six months. But we can control whether we're going to be in a better position to secure a new one. And even if the only thing that you can control is making another cup of tea or choosing not to have that second biscuit, take the wins where you can and remind yourself about what you are in control of. A lack of control 
can feed the fear. And when you realise that you can let go of what you can't control and focus on what you can, that can be really powerful. You know, the serenity prayer thing is one of my favourite things in the world. Grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. The last one is to protect your mental health and well-being. Our resilience is directly dependent on our frame of mind and our physical health. So exercise, meditation, relaxation techniques, if we build them into our daily routine, that can really help when change comes about. So there are some practical things that you can do to help move from denial and shock to acceptance and integration. Even if you're not going through a change now, there is one thing I can guarantee. There will be one around the corner. Ultimately, the biggest win can come from accepting that life is change. Nothing is permanent. And there is some real power in reframing our view of the world in that way. Accepting that change happens can make our lives less stressful and more balanced. And who knows, you may even develop the power to choose a different brand of toilet roll when your favourite one's out of stock and not even bat an eyelid. So that was change. Hopefully you'll find some, um, some useful stuff in there to help you. And again, the stages and all the information will be in the show notes. Now we're going to move on to resource. Now, as I mentioned earlier, I think there's a balance to be had here when we're talking about using online resource and using any spare time that we might have to learn something new or get better at something. Right here at the moment, there are a lot of people talking about what you can do with your spare time. If you have it, there's lots of coverage of using video meetings. We've got Joe Wicks doing the PE thing on the telly. And there's lots of stuff out there which is helpful that can work and you might find useful. But obviously, you have to apply your own personal filter. You've got to ask yourself the question, do I actually have spare time? Or are there pressing things that I need to prioritise? And obviously, you don't need me to tell you what those pressing things are. If you do have pressing things, then we recommend building a schedule to focus on those. Now, we said that we want to offer insight and ideas in this episode that can help you. And one area that we do have plenty of experience in is learning. And if you do find that you've got some time to do some development or some learning, then I'm going to share some great resource that can help you. Now, before we talk about where and how you can do this stuff, I think it's really important to be clear on why. Why do I want to develop myself in this area? Why do I want to get better at whatever the thing is? The five whys, which we talked about before, is a great technique to apply here. So, for example, um, I found a great photography course. I've always wanted to improve my photography, so let's dive in. Well, a quick check-in with yourself might look like this. Why do I want to do this course? To improve my photography skills. Why do you want to improve your photography skills so I can take better photos? Why do you want to take better photos? Because uh, I might be able to sell them. Why do you want to sell them? Um, to have some small additional income to support us if the day job falls down. Why do you want to do that? Well, because I love my family and I want to look after them. So, right there is the 
root cause, it's the big driver. You love your family. And if you can focus on that, then when the course becomes boring or it starts to become hard work, you can remind yourself why you're doing it. And that can really help. Now, you don't have to take this approach. You can just dive in. But I do recommend it because all learning and development can become quite sticky. It's not all fun. And when the path becomes unclear or you get distracted, having a really powerful reason, a strong, clear root purpose to remind yourself why you're doing this training can really keep you motivated. So, where can we find this resource? Well, I've got some information on five places that you can look. There's many more, but here's five worth checking out to start with. So let's start with the biggest resource, YouTube. Now, you've probably seen the stats. There are over 2 billion users of YouTube. That's like a third of the planet. There's apparently 46,000 years worth of content watched every year. And there are 300 hours of content added every minute. Here's a question. If there's so much stuff on YouTube, why do I keep having the same old videos come up in my feed? Anyway, you might say, hang on a minute, Steve. YouTube is for watching music videos or PewDiePie or Shane Dawson. Okay, I had to look those up. PewDiePie is a thing. Biggest number of subscribers on YouTube, apparently. But there is a lot of learning available on YouTube. But as well as being the largest resource, that brings two equally large challenges. The first one is there's no control over the quality or accuracy of what you're watching. And the second one is that the agenda for many videos is to sell you something. Remember, if the product doesn't cost you any money, then you are the product. However, in amongst all the noise and froth on YouTube, there is some learning to be had. And my advice is to generally stick with the credible names and brands that are already known for quality. Places like well-known colleges and education institutions, the BBC, the NHS have got a really good YouTube channel, uh, the Smithsonian, those sorts of places. So by all means, dip your toe in the water of learning on YouTube, but remember the risks. There is actually a video on YouTube that's 10 hours long called Watching Paint Dry, and that's exactly what it does. So don't blame me if you're up until four in the morning watching Little Baby's Ice Cream or Deer 2. The second place we're having a look at is the Open University. Now, I remember watching tele programs from the Open University in the 1980s. And you think, that's mad, isn't it, Steve? Because you're only like 25. How could you be around in the 1980s? Um, the Open University started in, in 1969 and is arguably, as they claim, the world pioneer in distance learning. And it is a university that offers undergraduate and postgraduate courses. However, what you may not know is that it also has a huge free resource called OpenLearn. This is how they explain OpenLearn. Curiosity. You never lose it. OpenLearn provides free educational resources for the insatiably curious all around the world. And not just courses, there's articles, videos, features, games and more created by academic experts and guest contributors. Explore new topics and refresh your skills, whether for further study or the sheer pleasure of learning. You'll find hundreds of free courses on everything from art to forensics to project planning 
and earn free digital badges to show employers everything you've learned. Plus you'll find information about our many broadcasts with the BBC and other partners and catch up with our latest projects on BBC iPlayer. So to truly satisfy your curiosity, visit OpenLearn, the home of free learning from the Open University. So there's eight subject areas covering over a thousand free courses. The subject areas are health, sports and psychology, education and development, history and the arts, language, money and business, nature and the environment, science, math and technology, and society, politics and law. And the thousand subjects are aardvarks, no, I'm only joking. But there is a tremendous choice. Um, the courses operate on three levels, and each, com- each course gives you a completion certification, and some give you that digital badge that you can show your employer what you've learned. Now, being a university, there's obviously a lot of purely academic subjects, as you might imagine. But there are also courses on mental health, music, philosophy, commercial awareness, design and earthquakes. That's two different subjects there. There isn't a course called Design and Earthquakes. So that's the Open University Open Learn. It's a high standard. It's free. Take a look. If you listen to podcasts regularly, you might have heard of a thing called the Great Courses Plus. And it's often advertised with a link to a free month's worth of access by people more famous than me in their podcasts. So I thought I'd check it out. Now, actually, there's two parts. There's the Great Courses, which is where you can buy a lecture on a particular subject, or with the Great Courses Plus, a lot of the content's the same, but you pay one monthly amount, and then you can stream lots of different videos. Here's the promo for the Great Courses Plus. I'm naturally a really curious person. If you're not learning, you're not being the the best you that you can be. Now you can get unlimited video learning from the world's greatest professors. I'm very excited about The Great Courses Plus. With The Great Courses Plus, an entire world of knowledge is available anytime, anywhere, on any device. With a subscription, I can sample all of the different courses and take a little bit of a taste of everything. Great Courses Plus offers the key to this vault of information. Dive into over 5,000 lectures, history, science, travel. Maybe you sample a little bit of art or a little bit of business. All these interesting areas. There are no tests to take. There's no pressure. And by partnering with National Geographic, Smithsonian, and the Culinary Institute of America, we create learning experiences you can't find anywhere else. Being able to get that level of expertise, that's incredible. And now, you can try the Great Courses Plus absolutely free. There's new courses every month. A geeky guy like me, I'm going to dive into as many as possible. With the Great Courses Plus, you can enjoy great professors anytime, anywhere. Start your free trial of the Great Courses Plus and get unlimited video learning. Now, as you heard, there are 5,000 lectures. They use over 700 professors from famous universities and institutions. At the moment, the Great Courses Plus is £10 a month if you pay quarterly, or I think that's about 12 and a half US dollars. And if you want to buy individual courses from the Great Courses, then they cost from about £10 per course upwards. The content, again, is heavily geared towards the academic, but there are also subjects like effective reasoning, the basics of photography, uh, cryptocurrency business skills, and mindfulness. So that's The Great Courses and The Great Courses Plus. The links are in the show notes.
The fourth resource that we've looked at is LinkedIn Learning. Now, this used to be Linda. Linda.com was actually an online resource for books and classes of Linda Weinman, who was a special effects animator. In 2002, Linda started offering online courses, and in 2015, LinkedIn bought Linda.com, apparently for $1.5 billion. Lisa, let's set up an online training company. So, here's how LinkedIn Learning described themselves. I've been a single mother for over 16 years. I had to put my life on hold to raise my son. At Kellogg, I have the time and the support to do what I need to do to improve myself. I had a project that my manager gave me to transfer all our files to SharePoint. I had no clue how to do that, but there was this amazing course on LinkedIn Learning and it helped me build it. The LinkedIn Learning courses are trusted resources for me because they're vetted courses and I've seen the results. My son just recently graduated, so it leaves me as an empty nester. LinkedIn Learning's been the perfect outlet for me to explore what it is that I want to do with my career. It's just given me that added confidence that I needed to continue learning. So LinkedIn Learning seems to be geared towards workplace subjects. And it might be spot on for some of you in this kind of weird period where you want to develop a work-based skill. But it's not exclusively workplace. There's actually over 15,000 courses. LinkedIn Learning is not free. And it has an interesting approach. So you pay monthly. You, in the UK, you pay 25 quid. And then you get a LinkedIn premium account, which gives you all sorts of other options on LinkedIn. Like you can see who's looked at your profile for 90 days. But this £25 a month gives you access to the LinkedIn Learning program. And it has all the subjects that you might find in the other places. There's Excel, Photoshop, leadership skills. The list is huge. What I quite like is the idea that the courses get recommended to you based on your LinkedIn profile. So that's quite nice. And of course, once you've done your courses, you can add that information to your profile if you're looking to stand out to your employer or to recruiters. So if you're looking to develop a workplace skill, this could be a good approach. So that's LinkedIn Learning. The link to LinkedIn Learning will be in the show notes. So the last resource, and possibly, in my opinion, one of the better choices is Udemy. And there's a couple of things I particularly like about Udemy. But first, let's hear what they say in their own words. Isn't it time to get back to your curiosity? Right now on Udemy, take online video courses to hack your imagination, advance your business intelligence, or let your creativity set the curve. It's the place you can always go back to get the skills you need. With learning that fits your schedule and courses that don't expire, it's never been easier to own your curiosity. Udemy.com. Be able. So, what's good about Udemy? Well, firstly, they claim to be the largest provider. And with over 100,000 courses... I think that might be right. Secondly, there are 7,000 free courses. 
or you can pay from £12 or $15 for individual courses up to two pounds or £300 or dollars for the, there's a few at the real top end. But there are thousands of courses in the £12 to £30, £12 to $30 price point. Now Udemy have a nice review system like Amazon, so you can see how many people have completed a course, you get a rating for them out of five stars, and you get the reviews that people have shared. And of course the power in any review process comes from the numbers of people contributing. And this is interesting. Udemy has 50 million students, and it has 57,000 instructors. And many of these reviews and ratings have been completed by thousands of people, so they're good indicators of quality or reliability. Udemy often have great special offers, so they'll do a 50 quid course for a tenner, that kind of thing. Now, I've studied CBT, NLP and Adobe Audition on Udemy. And what's really good is that it's not just watching videos. Those three courses that I've mentioned, they have interactive quizzes, there's written resource, there's self-reflection sections, and there's even a Facebook community for two of them where you can interact with the tutor and other learners. So Udemy isn't just a video player. It's a platform where real instructors can create an online course using the right tools and the right materials, and good instructors are creating great courses. There's a 30-day money-back guarantee with Udemy courses, and if there's something you want to learn, I'm sure it will be on Udemy. There's all the usual things, plus there's some weird and wonderful choices like how to be a pro gamer, learning to become a clown, or how to activate powerful fairy shamanism to shapeshift destiny. It is by far one of the best resources we've used. We trust it, I've used it, and you could start with one of the 7,000 free courses like change management, personal finance, or even how to start a podcast. So that's Udemy, and again, links in the show notes. Now we've only covered five resources there. Hopefully we've given you a broad view of what's around and the sort of things to think about. There's plenty of other resources. There's TED-Ed, there's Coursera, there's Allison. Uh, the BBC have got a good one called The Forum. And then, of course, there's the world of podcasts, where, of course you can find really useful, helpful information. Well, you certainly can on some podcasts. <coughs> Sharp podcast. So that's information on where you can go to learn new things, either in your spare time or your downtime. And hopefully it's helpful to you, not just in this unusual period, but worth bookmarking for when you want to develop something. Before we wrap up, here are the takeaways. If you're working from home, here are some ideas. Set a dedicated area to work from, even if it's the corner of the kitchen table. Agree boundaries with your family when they can and when they can't interrupt. Have a definite start to the day. You can even go out and walk around the block if you like. Plan your day. Put a structure in place and even plan for downtime like a lunch break or a break. Have a definite end to the day. Fix a time if you have separate IT equipment for what you do for work. Actually shut the equipment down. Wear something different. It can make you feel different and it helps to separate work from non-work. And if you're at home and you're not working or your day is not filled with what it usually is, 
Set a schedule anyway. It's easy to slip into the Netflix trap and whilst a box set is always worth doing, you could be better off if you plan that box set catch-up but mix it up with some other things. The chores you haven't got round to doing, learning stuff with the kids, learning stuff for yourself, time working on the car, the garden or that project you've been planning. Put these all into a schedule because the things won't just happen on their own. Remember baby steps. Don't try to do too much in one go. It will fail and you'll end up back in front of the telly. Trust me, I know I've been there so many times. Exercise. It is important to keep moving. Whether you do Joe Wick stuff indoor, your once a day walk, keeping your physical health up, but also your mental health. If you have some time, take a look at some online courses. That could help you be in a better position when things return to normal. You could develop a new skill to give you an opportunity in a different field. Or you could explore a hobby or an activity that appeals and become even better at it and get more enjoyment along the way. Thinking about change, think about how this change is affecting you and those around you. Try working out how each stage of the change curve actually makes you feel. Think about the practical steps that you can take to help you deal with the change. Our list is in the show notes to get you started. Don't give yourself a hard time. This is difficult, change is difficult, and if you beat yourself up, it will be harder. And it's okay for us to have some compassion for ourselves. Those are the takeaways. All the links to the online courses, the TED Talks, everything else that we've covered will be in the show notes. Hopefully, in there you'll find one thing, two things that might help. Speaking of change, I'm wondering if I might have to change our strapline. Sharp the podcast, helping you get better at the stuff you want to do before you have to go back to doing what you have to do? Maybe not. But if you have any tips to share, please send them to us. You can get us on social media. The handle is at Sharp Podcast, one word, two Ps. And we're on Twitter, Facebook or Instagram with that same handle. Or you can email us, sharpthepodcast at gmail.com. Above all, it feels like the best thing we can all do at the moment is to to be kind, to help each other and to look out for the vulnerable. We set out in this episode to see if we can help. I hope in some way we have, and if we did, we'd love to hear how. And I'm really pleased because I managed to get through a whole episode without saying the words, wash your hands and don't touch your face. Oh, f***. I didn't just swear, honestly. Bing bong. This is a customer announcement. Can we please have stage one denial to the podcast? Bye-bye.